0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Okay, well, welcome everyone to the Sunday morning practice group. Um, uh, my name is, is Wynne Fricky and um, Mark Nunberg, who is both my partner and who is the guiding teacher uh, here, he is um, uh, normally teaching this class, but he is uh, on retreat at Cloud Mountain in, uh, on, the, on the West Coast. So I'm stepping in for him today. Um, just wondering if there are any people here for the first time at Common Ground? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, a special welcome to you, and feel free after, if you have any questions, I'll be here, and our program hosts also. Who are our program hosts today? Well, thanks, Kathy. Okay, great. All right. So um, when I'm, I'm stepping in for Mark or another teacher, I, I like to use these opportunities to share like what I'm working on in my practice. So um, sometimes the things that I'm talking about are not fully explored because I'm really, <laughs> I'm in the thick of it. So I'm, uh, the topic today is uh, about relating wisely with others. Um, and I'm just aware of, how much a source of suffering some of our relationships can be, the difficulties in our relationships, and how do we work with them, how do we draw on our Buddhist teachings to support us and to support um, our relationships. So um, I'm going to start with the words of the Buddha. This This is from the Upada Sutta where Ananda, Ananda who is the Buddha's close friend and student, um, goes to visit the Buddha and kind of reflects on the beauty of their encounter together and their friendship. Um, So Ananda, having bowed down to the Blessed One, the Blessed One is the Buddha, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, This is half of the holy life, Lord, admirable friendship." admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie. And the Buddha replies to him, don't say that, Ananda, don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. When a practitioner has admirable people as friends, companions, and comrades, he or she can be expected to develop and pursue the Eightfold Noble Path. So in this passage, the, the Buddha is pointing to uh, the essential refuge of Sangha, of community, and the support of friendship. And in particular, wise friends who are wise in the sense that they share the aspiration to grow in, in compassion and grow in wisdom. So that's sort of the, that's kind of the quiet contract, whether it's said out loud or not, that, that we move into our relationships and we support one another in this aspiration. Which is beautiful, not only for the wholesome quality of the relationship, but we can use the relationship as a vehicle. So this there's this term, kalyanamita, spiritual friend, <clears throat> where that aspiration is shared. <clears throat> So, um, there are two broad uh, sort of paths, uh, disciplines within our Buddhist practice, right, so we have the practices of the heart, the Brahma Vihara's, the cultivation of what's considered the divine abodes, um, the dwelling place of the gods that have immeasurable capacity for love and kindness. So we have our, our practices of the heart, and then we have our practices of wisdom, um, our practice of vipassana, of insight, of precise seeing uh, of our experience. And they're considered two wings of awakening, right? So freedom, awakening is one bird. So we, we can't, you know, we can't fly with just the qualities of heart. We can't fly with just the qualities of wisdom. And they are in fact intimately interwoven. But as practices sometimes it's useful to uh, look at them distinctly. <clears throat> Um, and I, I want to talk about how they both relate to our relationships <clears throat> um, so what are, what are the Brahma Viharas uh, so, so metta, kindness is the fundamental Brahma Vihara and there's, there's uh, variations of kindness so any moment can be met with kindness or the variation of kindness which is compassion can be met when we're in the face of suffering, whether it's our own suffering or the suffering of someone else. Or when we meet someone, a being, that is feeling joy, that has met some success, we can have the quality of appreciative joy where instead of, meet, instead of seeing that success with a kind of jealousy, that the, the heart opens and appreciates with gladness the success of this being. And then the last one is equanimity. Um, which is that unshakable, patient quality of the heart that can can meet experience without being pushed around, and it is it is essentially a derivative of kindness. Um. So. There are, are many kinds of loving kindness practices, right? And the, one of which was the, so, the song, the chant that we sang together, uh, the Buddha's words on loving kindness, like that could be a beginning, right? I, I have memorized that and that's my go-to place, like through the day when I, I need some sustenance. So we can be creative with, with how we practice this quality of the heart, which is supple, um, and which, which nurtures us and in turn nurtures nurtures other people. I just yesterday heard just these words of Shakespeare. <laughs> I just want to share them because he's talking about this quality of mercy, which could be one of the meta qualities. He says, the quality of mer- mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses... The Blesseth him that gives and him that takes. That's from Merchant of Venice. So we cultivate Brahma Viharas toward ourselves. And we can also have our difficult relationships, the people in our lives who sometimes are our loved ones, are our family, they can also be the object of our uh, heart practices. And and I and I just want to say I think notably in this culture I think there there is such uh, there are such habits of um, feeling unworthy you know kind of self hatred that can be really soft and underneath or they can be really loud but I, I think that these can be unexplored and we can move into our practice as a kind of self fixing agenda because we are not somehow good enough. And this is really a quality of self-hatred, a sense of unworthiness that needs to be seen and explored and met with this this quality of the heart, right? And as we can make the space to accept you know exactly <laughs> who we are, how we are as we as we make space for all the despicable qualities that we recognize in ourselves. We can begin to make space for our partners, for the difficult people in our life. But if we haven't done work in ourselves in that way, it's going to be really difficult to do that deep work in relationship. And in terms of you know cultivating these qualities of heart, I think it's a I think it's useful to be really creative uh, in terms of understanding what moves your heart, what are the conditions that softens your heart? What gives joy? You know, joy is, is very tied up with with uh, wholesome qualities of the heart. I was in yoga class the other day, and um, you know, and I, I yoga is a real discipline of mine, and I, I approach it with a lot of devotion and wholehearted attention and um, uh, you know, I I really like it as a practice. And but as I was practicing the other day, the instructor she put on she put on this music, and it was like this Scandinavian folk song. I don't know what it was, but it was so sweet. You know, it was like oh, I was like, oh, I, I just I just love this kind of music. You know, and I noticed immediately in my practice uh, there was just like like cream, moving from the heart into the body, this sort of effusive joy that was a response to this music. And it illuminated all the hardness and sort of unnecessary striving that was kind of happening that I hadn't seen. So there was this quality of heart that just, I just just made everything, um, it felt wholesome. This is, this is what yoga needs to be. You know, it's like that clarity... Uh, Became apparent to me, and just in that moment. So, you know, what what is it that moves your heart? You know, that kind of because when we're happy, when we're kind of rest rested in that joy, that becomes the lens, right? That becomes the lens, uh, and and we're so much more able to meet what's difficult when we're grounded, when we're anchored in that. This is another passage from the Buddha where he approaches his. Uh, student Anuruddha and the small community that Anaruda has been living in. And the Buddha says to him, Anuruddha, I hope that you are living in concord, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. <clears throat> I hope, Anuruddha, um, that you are all living with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. Surely, Venerable Sir, we are living in concord with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. But, Anuruddha, how do you live thus? And Anuruddha answers the Buddha, Venerable Sir, as to that, I think thus. It is a gain for me, it is a great gain for me that I am living with such companions in the holy life. I maintain bodily acts of loving-kindness towards those venerable ones, both openly and privately. I maintain verbal acts of loving-kindness toward them both, openly and privately. I maintain mental acts of loving-kindness toward them both, openly and privately. I consider, why should I not set aside what I wish to do and do what these venerable ones wish to do? Then I set aside what I wish to do, and do what these Venerable Ones wish to do. We are different in body, Venerable Sir, but one in mind. So this seems like a rarity, right? <laughs> I mean, um, it's a little paradise in, in, in this passage of, of living in Concord. Um, so, but I think it's it's beautiful to set the intention, like, uh, set the intention to meet our moments with kindness. And it's important because it becomes a way to understand how the heart is not kind. right? It, it, it illuminates the parts of ourselves that need to be seen. So that's why, it, that's why that intention is really essential. And I think of it as like in this world, this is essential work and it's warrior work. It's warrior work, because mostly that's what you find, or at least that's what I find, you know, when I, I'm intending to be one of those qualities, I'm intending to be a quantumist. I'm intending not to be jealous but appreciative of someone's success, I'm intending to meet the suffering with compassion instead of hatred. But often what do I see? Often I see a hatred, or I see a contempt, or I see petty parts of myself, and it's really an invitation to investigate and see clearly gladly right gladly i'm glad that i see that right because th- those forces rule they rule our lives you know so so we can be grateful when we when we see them so here's a different community that the buddha meets <laughs> This is the Kosambiya Sutta. Um, This makes me think of our Congress. Thus, monks, it is apparent that when you are engaged in disputes, arguments, contention, and mutual verbal assault, then physical actions, verbal actions, and mental actions based on loving friendliness have not been established in regards to your co-practitioners, both publicly and privately. Foolish men... What could you possibly know or see that leads you to engage in disputes, arguments, contention, and mutual verbal assault such that you cannot persuade each other and are not persuaded by each other, that you cannot convince each other and you are not convinced by each other? Foolish men, this will lead to your long-lasting detriment and suffering. So this is where our, our wisdom practice can come in our formal in our formal dharma practice you know as we're sitting here i mean first first we understand how to sustain attention on the breath right we know how to stabilize the mind so when when we when we have that practice then we can move into understanding our anger right understanding all the ways that we cling understanding our wounds right this is much much more slippery, right? These things are, are not as easy to be known as the breath. That's why we begin with the simplicity of the breath. <clears throat> and in our, in our vipassana practice, we're not trying to hide our non-virtue, right? We're inviting our non-virtue to arise. And we investigate. We investigate the ways we resist resisting life, resisting experience, the ways that were hard. Um, and we bring our kind attention there and we're interested. Um, and so we can um, we can notice also, I mean this is where our I, and, and for me, most intimate relationships where, where regularly we might feel resistance we might feel hardening we might feel the patterns that we get stuck in with our partners right so we can also use that as an object of investigation it's important that we use that as an ob- object of investigation so there's like two prongs to the work right we 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 investigate it in our seclusion in the, just the in our own hearts and it's activated in in partnership and sometimes It's not active it's only activated within relationships. So partly that's why our relationships are are so essential. They reveal parts of ourselves that we might not otherwise come to know. Uh, And this is an, an important truth. When we're mindful of unwholesome states of mind, they are diminished. When we're mindful of wholesome states of mind, they grow. Um, there's a story that Thich Han tells and I, I can't recall if I heard it in Adama talk or if I was there when it happened I spent some time in Plum Village but, but there was a, a man who asked a question he was struggling in his relationship with his wife and he said and she won't let me love her she won't let me love her and Thich Han replied she can't stop you from loving her. She can't stop you from loving her. And that just was so powerful for me in the sense of our own agency, our own power and responsibility for the state of our heart. You know, otherwise there's that John Paul Sartre quote, hell is other people. <laughs> we can believe that, right? We can believe that, you know, my, you are responsible for my suffering, and that's a, that's an important view to know if that is operating in the mind and and if you believe that view to really give that some consideration. You know. <clears throat> Ajahn Sumedho uh, is one of my just favorite Dhamma teachers. He comes from the Thai Forest tradition. Ajahn Chah was his teacher. Um, but one one thing I love about listening to his Dhamma talks is He's so transparent and colorful in the ways that he talks about his lust and his hatred, and his, you know, like like he gives real life examples all the time of kind of the workings of his mind and heart and how he works with it, and you know, and and one of these uh, one of the Dhamma talks he talks about a fellow monk who just he just hated they, they just couldn't stand each other, and it, you know. And, and he was sort of, it was sort of like he had, you know, hell is this monk. You know, that was sort of his, his feeling. Um, and then he, you know, and this just persisted for years. You know, these, these, you know, these communities of monks, is like, ah, it's, it's your, that's, that's the soup you're all in. And, and then, and then he, he just talked about, you know, one time, he, he just decided to write down what was happening in his mind, like a, a giant letter to himself, like just exposing... Uh, the, just exposing sort of the the uh, the patterns of thinking in uh, the mind and heart, and just you know, and he was just kind of to just laughing at like the absurdity of the kind of hatred that was just, bleh, this toxic thing that he he had produced. But but it was really useful to him. Um, and, and to me, it sort of says that we, we can be creative, right? How we work with those forces, how we work with that energy. And it, it's a kind of mindfulness, like a kind of non-identification, like, oh, this is what's happening. This is the nature moving through. Oh, you know, I'll write it down and, and take a look. <clears throat> so there's that useful acronym that... Um, We've used a lot in in these spaces. This is, uh, was first coined by Michelle McDonald about 20 years ago. So, so rain, R A I N, right? And I'll just say, I'll say what they each represent. So, rain, um, and this is kind of our Vipassana practice, right? Whether, whether we're seated or whether we're moving through the world, rain, R, we recognize what's happening. It's just like a naming, very simple. This is what's happening. A is we accept it. And um, I, we get curious. We get curious about it. And then N, we don't identify it. It doesn't belong to me. This is just nature moving through. And I think the N, the non-identification, supports the A, the acceptance. And the, I, I'm, I'm sort of understanding better in my practice that this acceptance piece has been the piece that I thought was there often, but I'm realizing more and more, no, no, it's really radical, this acceptance, like to really, it's a kind of um, absolute surrender to the, this is what's happening in the moment, you know, And and I think especially when we're seeing, when we're in such unpleasant states, right, whether it's seeing something we hate about ourselves, something we don't want, some discomfort in the body, you know, what, whatever it is, it's so unpleasant that we just want out. And so that acceptance piece needs a lot of support. <laughs> and, to, and to appreciate that it's radical. Like, I keep telling, I, I, I'm even saying that now, it's radical. I, you know, sort of, like even, even like sitting up here, like I, I teach for a living, I work at McAllister College, but I never like being in front of a group, right? It's just sort of like, how did I end up in this role? I, it, so it, yeah, things happen, but but it's um, I can recognize like all all the forces of the mind that want to fix the discomfort. I want to change it. I want to control all all of these things, and it's like no, there's like a yield. It's a, it's like a laying back. And it has a quality of the Brahmadvihara. There's a quality of heart that is not completely accepting unless that quality of heart is there. So, yeah, just, just kind of pointing that out. There's a beautiful poem that Kamala Masters shared with me. She, uh, it says, Watching the moon at dawn, solitary mid-sky, I knew myself completely, no part left out. I keep that on my altar, and when I feel resistance towards something in myself or outside myself, I think of that. I know myself completely, no part left out. Whatever it is, it's okay. And in terms of the difficulty with what appears in the mind, whether in our solitude or whether in relationship, This is Rumi's poem, The Guest House. Uh, He writes, This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably, he may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door, laughing, and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So we can also, um, we can also direct rain toward those relationships, right? Like I notice, you know, sometimes I'll I'll do this purposefully. Like, well, Mark will come in the door. It's like, okay, recognize, you know, Mark's come in the door. How how's he doing? You know, uh, you know. So I kind of feel out. Like, okay, is he is he irritable? Is he like buoyant? Oh, you know, and and accept, right? This is what's appearing. Investigate, you know. Oh, maybe the talk didn't go so well. Maybe you know, like whatever the question might be. So and And this is this is all perceptions, it's all inquiry it's just but but there's a tension there, right I'm sort of I'm attending and then non identification so if he if he comes in a state that is not what I welcome, like I wish you were friendly right now or I wish you were you know whatever it might my demand might be, there can be that uh, non identification right, just like. I might be standing here with impatience moving through me. It's like so whatever irritability or quietness whatever it might be, uh it's, it's it's its it's its own force of nature, right? Like this is these are movements of nature without a hub either in me or in him. And so it's just like resting in that wisdom and not demanding more from the moment, you know. In that moment. Right? The next moment is a new moment. <clears throat> so there's this uh, important value of mindful presence. Um, and how can we love without being present? Like That's a really important question and especially in our busy lives. I feel like it's a... it's unhealthy how busy we are. The Chinese character for uh, busy, busyness, is heart-killing. And so it's like, yeah, just how do we show up? How do we show up? I was in this uh, very powerful uh, retreat, sort of investigating the self in terms of the creative process, in terms of art, uh, with Marcia Rose. So we were art-making, actually, in different modes, but, but in the first part of the retreat, we were drawing, and we were you know, practicing mindful drawing, and and like for one morning, uh, we had to just choose this little thing in nature. Like I, I chose a part of the bark of a tree that was about that big. So everyone was supposed to just find something really small, and then you know we would just we would just not even look at the paper, just drawing again and again, all the contours, all the bits of whatever that we were seeing, sort of training the eye, and and then then Marcia said, you know use your pencil as though you're caressing the thing, right? And so I thought that was beautiful instruction, right? it's sort of this. And so we spent hours, right, on this, little, like, little individual thing. Um, but I noticed the quality of wonder that developed toward this little few square inches of bark, right? It became amazing to me, you know, that that connection, that study, Um and then forevermore during the retreat, I'd pass that tree and, oh, you know, that was like my bark, something like that. And so just just appreciating this power of the heart with what it connects with, this power of love and appreciation when, when we connect, you know, like our, our cat bear, our cat bear came from, the he was on the compost heap at Prairie Farm, the retreat center in Wisconsin, and Um, He showed up out of nowhere, starving, right, filled with ticks, kind of awful. He was just in awful shape. And Mark was on a solitary retreat out there, and this cat started to follow him on his walking meditations through the woods, up and down the driveway, you know, and how, like, meow, 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 meow. And when Mark was sleeping at night, you know, know, and the the cat just stood outside the door and cried and cried cried and cried and, and I, it took four days I think it was working Mark, Mark's heart over and he finally called, he said bring the cat carrier you know there's a no kill shelter close by Let, we just have to do something about this cat and to make a long story, story, you know, story short we, I brought the cat home Right, <laughs> it's now our cat but I but there was a funny moment like when I because our other cat had just died, I was wanting a new cat, right? It was like, you know, whatever, and uh, but this cat was a burly cat. This cat was an assertive football player, you know <laughs> and I was like, that's not the cat I wanted, you know I was <laughs> like, my old cat Sumi, you know she was like a brush painting, a mystery, this this beauty, you know, whatever but but i knew you know i knew this quality you know like i just need to have this cat just by proximity have him close and and that love and appreciation uh will develop and that's you know exactly what happens so that initial like ah you know i didn't trust that i didn't trust that i knew better than to kind of trust that and so So yeah, just this quality of mindful presence uh, within our relationships. Um, And I could say much more about that. I'm going to end with these words by Norman Fisher because I think they're really important. Um, And this has to do with the quality of listening. Uh, Norman Fisher, he's a Zen abbot. He says, To truly listen is to shed as much as possible all of your protective mechanisms, at least for the time of listening. To listen is to be willing to simply be present with what you hear without trying to figure it out or control it. To listen is to be receptive. To do that, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be aware of and accepting of your preconceptions, desires, and delusions, all that prevents you from listening. You also have to be willing to put these preconceptions, desires, and delusions aside so that you can hear what the speaker is saying for what it is, because truly listening requires that you do this. Listening is dangerous. It might cause you to hear something you don't like, to consider its validity and to think something you never thought before, or to feel something you never felt before and perhaps never wanted to feel. This feeling might make something happen within you that never happened before. This is the risk of listening. But listening, however dangerous, is a necessity. If you want to stay open to life and to change, you have to listen. To listen is to accord respect. When your mind is occupied, usually unconsciously, with your own thoughts, plans, strategies, and defenses, you are not listening. And when you're not listening, you're not according to respect. The speaker knows this and reacts accordingly. I think this quality of listening, we can we can apply that to our sitting practice. This radical listening, not being rested in our preoccupations, our agendas, our assumptions, and also when we're engaging like in conversation. And and I, I really appreciate this. Um, like, like, there's the appearance of listening, and then there's the actual, uh, um, what's going on, the distraction in the heart. And that the person that you're engaged with may not know it consciously, but what they feel is your preoccupation. I think that's really important. Uh, and I, I'm really trying to align how I appear and what's going on in the heart as best I can. Like really, Because what go, what's going on in the heart is what counts. That's what really counts. Um, That's where the force is. Um, And so and that that points back to what the Buddha was when he was admonishing the quarreling monks. Loving friendliness has not been established in regards to your co-practitioners, both publicly and privately. So so it's in that private space that I think we need to have that extra amount of attention and concern uh, about what's going on. Okay, I'll just stop there. Um, so we have a few minutes, I guess, before the children come. So I'm just wondering if there are thoughts or uh, <clears throat> questions, comments to share about your own experience or any questions about the talk today? Hi, I'm Cynthia. Um, I understand... The f- three of the aspects of rain really well, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about investigation mm-hmm. and being curious and different examples of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this was a really an important um, change in in my practice and in my experience when uh, I I used to um, be a performer in the very beginning of my career. Uh, I had just a lot of fear around performance, a lot of stage fright, fright kind of panic attacks, just sort of, and uh, and I spent, I think, a very long time trying to sort of understand the psychology, to sort of, you know, like all all methods of, um, but but the insight was that I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, think my way out of it, <laughs> uh, that there was a tangle that needed to be untangled in a different way. And the first step was to radically accept it. And I could radically expe- accept it because it got so big that it, it made me go, what is going on? You know, like that was really like, what? The, the curiosity got bigger than the phenomenon. Like, like, and, and that what is what brought me to the cushion. It was what got me started that I need to, I need to sit, I need to be still (laughs) and, and let this thing called terror show itself. You know, so I didn't even know what investigation would look like, but there was this allowing, let this come into consciousness. I'm not going to battle, you know, I'm not going to battle this anymore. Something like that. So there was this quality of acceptance. And a quality of radical allowing—it's like the, the the story of um, you know oh, what's the name? You know, putting putting your the head in the mouth of the biggest demon. It's a kind of surrender to the thing that we're most don't want to surrender to, right? And so, so with this thing that was so debilitating in my life, there was a shift, a pivot. Like you know, and as I was saying earlier, you know, we sit with we have a kind of courage to. Be in the middle of what is this, you know? And so and, and in the investigation, you know, there's five aggregates, right? Five ways of, of uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, that, that make up who we are, right? There's the bodily experience. So just even, you know, terror, what, how does it manifest in the body moment to moment? What is it in the gut? What is it in the throat? What is it in my breath? And what is it in the mind? What are the views that are happening? What what do I believe? Like I could just see what what do I believe? Like, uh, and and what are the images? What and just to be, it's just like being in a lab in a really joyous way. What what's happening? What are the feelings in the body? Are they unpleasant? Are they pleasant? Are they neutral? What is the mental quality? Is the mental part? Pleasant, or is it unpleasant? Is the physical part pleasant, or is it unpleasant? You know, so and yeah, so so just all the layers, all the ways that we are made up of moving phenomenon. How does this terror show itself? So, and and this is where the Brahma Vihara practice becomes really important. That that we do it with love, you know, rather than an author- authoritarian that demands things be different. And that's hard. It's hard to make that shift. It takes a kind of faith or being caught in a corner where there's no way out, and so, poof, that's what you're left with. Great. Have a great day, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs,